Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. We're working our way through this, this sermon series that I'm calling Strong. You may remember that last fall we said, okay, uh, the, the leaves are falling off the trees and everything looks like it's dying. If you just look at outward signs, it would seem that the world is dying each fall, but we know better. We know that what it's doing is it's waiting and it's gathering resources from deep within the earth through its roots to get ready for a time of fast and furious growth whenever it turns warm in the spring. And well, here we are, right? It's that time of year. And so January, February, March, we've been looking at how it is that we can build strength. January, we spent the time talking about building strong lives. February, we talked about how to build strong families. And this month, it's my intention to talk about how to build a strong church. Pastor Bill got us started in that direction last week. But as I reviewed the notes that I had been preparing for today's message over all these last several months, I had one of those aha moments that then sent me in a completely different direction for today. I'm a problem solver, and that means a number of things, some of them good, some of them not so good. It means that I almost never look at a situation and say, well, that's hopeless. It's never going to change. I almost never assume that. I can almost always see a way around the current circumstances, and I think that's a very good thing. But it also means that I have almost no natural inborn tolerance for people who like to complain instead of find solutions. Um, whether or not that's a good thing uh, depends on whether you're me or the person who's wanting sympathy while you complain, right? And so I have to admit um, a weakness there that um, while I sense it is a good thing, it probably isn't experienced like a good thing by people who come to me to complain. I get that. But being a problem solver also means that I have an eye for problems. They just kind of stick out to me. And sometimes I can see the problems more clearly than I can see all the good things that are going on. And that can be a bad thing, and I know it. Fortunately, however, God has has gathered a group of people around me who always see the good stuff, and they're quick to remind me of all the good stuff when I have narrowed my focus down to some stubborn problem that I think takes everything I've got. And as the lead pastor of this congregation, I think it is important that I maintain a realistic perspective of both the problems that need to be solved, and the wonderful, fantastic, good things that God has done here among us. Well, as the people who make up this church, I think that it's also important that each of you does that, keeps in balance uh, 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 some sort of focus on all of the good things that God is doing without denying the problems that we have so that we can work on those. I mentioned a few moments ago that we're part of a denomination called the International Church of the Nazarene. And as a part of that denomination, we have an organizational year that that begins with March and ends with February. It's really awkward. It doesn't work with the rest of your calendar very well. But it works for us in that it gets us past all the rush of the holidays and the new year and all of that before Pastor Bill and I and the rest of the crew have to start uh, working on all the administrative stuff of year end and, and the beginning of a new year. And honestly, it puts me in a much better frame of mind as I start to consider what God has done in the last year. It also gives me uh, a different perspective as I start to dream about what it is that we might need to do or be able to do to become the God, to become the church that God dreamed we would be when he dreamed us into existence a long time ago. 
As I was doing that early this week, uh, I began to focus, as I normally do, on a stubborn problem or two around here, and I think that I had become too focused on that. Uh, I had narrowed my focus so much that it was becoming a problem, and in my preparation of my next couple of sermons, I realized that those sermons were taking on a little bit of a negative tone, and the prospect of preaching them felt like a joyless burden to me. And that's when my radar clicked in, and I uh, came to realize, well, then those messages must not be from God. It's not that God has only happy, happy, joy, joy to say to us, but even when he comes to correct us, it doesn't come with that onerous sense of burden, but of a loving father who says, hey, I've got something better for you. So I was challenged immediately to abandon the message that I was preparing for this week. And I heard from God on the matter, and all I can tell you is that in that moment, it was like night turned to day. it's the only way I know how to describe what happened in my heart and in my mind as God spoke to me earlier this week. Pastor Bill and I were working on a bunch of our year-end stuff and uh, taking care of all the reports that we need to for the denomination. And because Pastor Bill takes notes on absolutely everything that matters all year long, he started reviewing this last year for me. And he could tell me every single Sunday, every single week, something fantastic that had happened in the our congregation. And as he did, it was like it started to build momentum. And I I heard from the Holy Spirit on the matter of building a strong church. And he told me two things that I want to share with you today. First, he reminded me of something that Jesus said. It's recorded in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 16. Um, He was speaking to a friend of his named Peter. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And that begins with a very simple statement of fact. I will build my church. Call it a promise. At the time that he was speaking, Jesus hadn't yet built his church, but he told Peter, I'm going to. I'm going to get after it. I will build my church. It's a fact. You can stand and watch, or you can get on board and help if you'd like, but I am going to build my church. I love that. I absolutely love that passage. It's so much better than the conversation that could have taken place that day. See, when when Peter had just spouted off, I know who you are, Jesus. I understand your true identity. You're literally the son of God. Jesus could have said, I can work with that. Peter, go build my church. Peter, I need an institution that can stand the rigors of time and oppression. It needs to be able to stand up against great opposition It needs to be an organization that is centered on giving me praise and worship and taking my love, the message of it, to many other people. Peter, your job. Go get it done. But he didn't. When Peter said, Jesus, I know who you are. Jesus said, I can work with that. But I'm the one who's going to do the building. I am going to build my church. And when you say build a church... Um, When we say build, most of us think buildings, and um, I guess it would make sense if a carpenter and a fisherman are standing there talking for the carpenter to say, I'll be the one who does the building, thank you very much. But Jesus wasn't talking about buildings. Do you know the, the church didn't start building its own buildings for about 300 years? They just found other places to meet, didn't, didn't see a need for building buildings. But he said, um, 
I'm going to build my church, Peter. You're not on the hook. I'm putting myself on the hook. If you can really see who I am, if you can really see that I'm the son of God, you've only seen the beginnings of what I'm going to do, so stay tuned because I'm going to build a church, a bunch of people called out from the chaos and the destruction of the world around them, and I'm going to do great things in them, and then through them, I'm going to do great things in the lives of the people around them. I'm going to build my church, Peter. Watch. It's going to be an incredible thing. So as I was mulling over my intended message for today, and then the reports that Pastor Bill was reading to me, the Holy Spirit said, hey, Cliff, make sure that you remember what Jesus told you. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Now, I think that that whole verse is pretty easy enough to understand, but I always like to paraphrase things and and, and put them in what I think are are working people's translation. So here's what I think Jesus was saying. I think he was saying, I'm going to build my church, and hell doesn't stand a chance against it. Hell doesn't stand a chance against the church of God. Not, oh, we're somehow going to survive. It's hell praying for daylight because the onslaught of the kingdom of God pressing into and against the darkness is going to win. It's been telegraphed. It's been done. It's been settled. Hell doesn't stand a chance. Watch what I do as I raid hell itself is what Jesus was saying to Peter that day. That's the first thing God said to me this week, but then he added this. I wish he could have been down in Bill's office when it happened because it was... It was like the lights came on. It was like night turned to day for me. He said, I'm going to build my church. Hell doesn't stand a chance against it. And I have done that at First Nass. And I have done that at First Nass. Now look, the truth is that there are some things in our church that could stand to improve. But the truth, the 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 the, the overarching truth, the more important truth, the more determinative truth, is that Jesus has already built a strong church here. And when he spoke that to me, all of a sudden, I could see it. I could see the problems before. But when he said, and I've done that at first, Naz, the lights came on and I could see it. My focus shifted from the problem or two that we need to address to all that God has done here in just this last year. And the result is that he's built a strong church. And he built it on a foundation of year after year after year after year of good things that he's done. He's been building a strong church here for decades and decades. And so that you can can see what I saw this week, I'm going to share with you some of the signs of your strength as a church. Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Whenever you did that for anyone else, you did it for me. We run a day center for the community of North Lewiston and we call it the Reach Out Center or the Rock for short. We ran some numbers this week and we we fed somewhere between eight and 10,000 meals this year, to Jesus and his friends. And that's a very good thing. It's a strong church that does what Jesus commands instead of praying that somebody somewhere else will do it. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So strong churches do that. Last year, you sent two mission teams, one to Seattle, one to Torrington, Wyoming. It's a strong church that does that. 
Last year, you sent missionaries from this congregation, Paul and Carol and Wheelock. We never know where they're going to be. We just know they won't be with us for long because God's going to send them somewhere else to do his work. See Madison Grabo sitting over there this morning. We sent Madison with our blessings, with our prayers. We sent Jesse Johnson. We sent Brooke Thomas, all people from this congregation to Africa, to Asia, to South America. Well done. That's That's a sign of a strong, beautiful, godly, growing, solid church. Last year, right here in this sanctuary and sometimes down in my office, I know a handful of times in restaurants and uh, over at the Rock in North Lewiston and a handful of times over here in the building across the street, the youth center, we introduced people to Jesus. 63 people, more than one a week. Yeah, you want to clap for something? Clap for that. 63 new believers. That's more than one a week. Just every time that we get together, somebody is saying the yes to Jesus. Their names are, the scriptures say, their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. They have a future united with God. We're talking about heaven, yes, and we're also talking about undoing a bunch of the hell in their lives in the here and now. Because that's what he does when he walks into our lives. 63 people got the best news of their life in this place last year. Fifteen of those people chose to be baptized, too. They offered that that, that quiet, wordless testimony to their faith in Jesus. And First Naz offered them the sacrament of grace and our hearty applause as they did so. That's strong church kind of behavior. In order to have an even stronger worldwide involvement in connecting people with God through, through sharing the story of Jesus, we have raised and given away a ridiculous amount of money here in the last year. We've contributed nearly $50,000 to our denomination's missionary efforts, $25,000 to those same missionary efforts in the Northwest District. We sent $10,000, this one's important to me, to the financial support of retired ministers people who have served God all of their lives. We're taking care of them in retirement. You, uh, your, your tithes and offerings each week have helped make that happen. We sent $10,000 to support Northwest Nazarene University and all of the rest of the money that we raised, uh, and it went just over a half a million dollars we used to make ministry happen right here in this valley. And that's strength, if you ask me. I'm thankful that I get to be one of the pastors of First Church of the New of First Church of the Nazarene of Lewiston. So it's hard for me to say the whole thing. First Church of the Nazarene of Lewiston. I'm thankful that I get to be one of the pastors here. You know why? Because this is a strong church. Everyone who attends this church or or who thinks of it as their church is a part of the First Naz family. Among the members of the family are some who have formally joined the membership of the church. And I want to talk about membership here for just a moment. I don't want to make too big a deal of it, but I don't want to dismiss it either. Membership um, doesn't make you more a part of the family than attending here. Amen. It should not make you more of the family then attending here and worshiping with us and ministering with us. Membership is, however, an important step. And just an uh, important step. And, and, and just to make sure that that doesn't uh, sound like a bunch of double talk, I want to explain it just a little bit. Um, 
Taking the step of becoming a member of the church is making a statement that says, I publicly identify myself as part of this group, and I believe what it believes. It's also a statement saying, you can count on me to stick around, because First Naz is my church, not just the church I'm currently attending until I find a better one. It's making the statement that the future of this church and its ministry is important enough to me that I'll take steps to help um, become a person who can choose its elected leadership on a yearly basis. You saw in the announcement loop that we recently elected new board members. It means that once in a great while, a handful of times in your life, you uh, can also help the church make the important decision about picking a new lead pastor. It's a very important decision. And membership is saying, I'm going to help with that. When people choose to become members of the church, God uses that to build even greater strength. And in this past year, eight more people said, yes, of course, I'll be worshiping here. Yes, of course, I'll be fellowshipping here. But not, of course, I choose to become a member. It's an important decision. I want to thank you all for doing that. A handful of them said, please don't mention my name from the pulpit. So we're just going to honor the nameless masses who said, I want to be a member. If you really want me to mention it, tell me and I will next week. Okay? Uh, on the first Sunday of last year, I shared with you the story of a young woman named Shasta Groney. Her family was stalked by a serial killer years ago. Her older brother Slade... Her mom, Brenda, and her mom's boyfriend were all murdered in brutal fashion. You'll probably remember that story. Shasta and her younger brother, Dylan, were kidnapped and uh, suffered horrible abuse. Dylan was eventually murdered. A nationwide manhunt turned up nothing, but, but a few months later, I think it was about three months later, Shasta was seen in a Denny's restaurant in Coeur d'Alene, and uh, the, a handful of people called the police, and they rescued her. Yes. When I met her last year, she was 17 years old. She was incarcerated in our valley. And after visiting a couple of times and and hearing the most unbelievable stories of heartbreak and disappointment with God, I got a chance to share with Shasta the reason that I have hope for the future this life and the world to come. And she listened very carefully, and she said, it's hard for me to trust God when he's let so many bad things happen to me. But somehow, I know what you're saying is true. She said, as I was walking down to this room from my cell today, I hoped you were going to talk to me about God. So, I shared with her how it is that a person can come to have that same hope, forgiveness of sins, and um, an altogether new kind of life where you can let go of the wounds of the past, you can be healed and made whole, and your whole life can change. She said, that's exactly what I want. After we'd visited a couple of times, she said, this is what I want. And she prayed right there in that, uh, that room down at the juvenile detention with me, And she asked Jesus to forgive her of her sins and to be the Lord of her life. 
And she left that room, and she started sharing her faith with everybody in that place, and it's the last time I got a chance to see her because she got uh, taken to a whole different facility. I've been writing her letters. I've been, I've been uh, sending her cards, and I get absolutely nothing back. Some of you have, have done the same. Um, some of you wrote cards and got all of them returned to you. So um, we've been cut off. But you know what? On the very first Sunday of last year, 144 of you said, I'll pray for that girl. I'll pray every day. A bunch of you have come to me and said, hey, what do you hear? I don't hear anything. All I know is that for a year now, 12 dozen of us have been praying for a little girl that the enemy tried his very best to destroy. And listen to me. We're going to hear from her again someday. As soon as I hear something, I promise I'm going to tell you. But I know that it's a strong church that says, by the dozens, we will pray for somebody we do not know. And we'll commit ourselves to that. One of these days, we will get to reap some of, the, uh, some of the rewards when we hear the good things that are happening in Shasta's life. But it was a high water mark uh, on the calendar for me the very first Sunday of last year, not because I got to tell you a really cool story, but because I saw 144 people who said, I'll pray you can absolutely count on me. After carrying out his mission on earth, Jesus went back to heaven to reign with the Father. And just before he left, Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And in the last year, about 10 people appeared live or by video here and sat in a big white chair telling us how following Jesus had come to be their life's highest priority and how having their own needs met, well that had become second or 200th place in their lives. It's a strong church that is filled with Holy Spirit-empowered witnesses that Jesus talked about. This furniture that we have at the front of the sanctuary, we call them altars. They're not benches. At, At this altar in the past year, we've anointed and prayed for the sick. We've dedicated young children. We've served communion. We've prayed to God, asking him to break chains of addiction and habits that have bound people for years. We've confessed our sins. We've mourned the death of friends. We've asked God's Holy Spirit to to come in and take the driver's seat in our lives. And we've watched as week after week after week after week, people have left their seats and have knelt here. We don't always know the content of those conversations, but we do know this, something powerful and important and holy and obedient is taking place when people are kneeling and in reverence saying, yes, Lord, one more time. I know this, nothing contributes more to a church's strength than when those people who already belong to Jesus bow before him and say, yes, Lord, one more time. And in this strong church, it happens pretty much every single week. That's a beautiful thing. Quietly, each Sunday morning in, in rooms scattered all over these facilities, faithful people who have studied the scriptures themselves, have prayed for their students, have prepared a, a lesson to teach to children's teens and adults. They go and they teach them about the love of God and, and how to live for him in a world that thinks all of this stuff that we believe in is a bunch of nonsense. What's happening here early on Sunday mornings is a quiet revolution that God is using to build the strength of this church. 
And that same effort is multiplied by groups who meet other times and, and off-site during the week as well. We're talking about building strength upon strength upon strength. I'm not sure what I've done this morning, whether I have preached or given an annual report. I suppose I've probably done a little of both. But I heard from God this week, and I know it. He said, remember what Jesus said? I will build my church, and hell doesn't stand a chance against it. That's a strong church that he said he was going to build, and then he said, I've, I've done it here. There's more that he wants to do. I know that. But all I know is what he told me this week. I'm going to build a strong church. And I've done it in Lewiston. We still have areas in which we can grow and improve, and two of them are extremely important to me, and because of that, I feel the need to mention them to you today. Jesus' friend Peter gave us a command in in one of the books in the New Testament that bears his name. He said, Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And to make sure that we as a church family are being obedient to that command, The leadership of the church measures attendance to our primary Christian education effort here. We call it Sunday school. This year, fewer people chose to attend Sunday school to study the scriptures with their friends than did last year. I don't think that fits with who we are. I just just don't think that fits with all these good things that God has been doing that I just listed for you. I think that's weak church behavior, and we're not a weak church. We're a strong church, and I think we can fix that. Why don't you just do this? Consider your own involvement in Christian education, and then do something to strengthen that. When you consider, number two, when you consider all those beautiful, good, glorious, awesome things that God's accomplished right here among us, I think it has been proven once again that God is mighty and that he is holy and that he is loving and that he's kind and that he's good. And I think that means that he deserves to be worshipped with all that is within us. He's worthy of public honor and applause and affection. And what we do here in this building, in this room, in this time slot each week is called a worship service. And worship is just that. It's publicly giving to God honor that he deserves, applause that he has earned, and affection that resides within our hearts toward him. When I consider the proofs that I've listed for you this morning, I think people should be lined up early to get a seat in this place to worship God for all that he's done. But here's the reality. When I compare our worship attendance of this past year to the year before, we average four fewer people who've given God a public display of honor, applause, and affection. And I just don't think it fits. I'm going to be completely transparent with you for just a moment. I'm embarrassed to admit that to God and to other people. In a few weeks, a group of us will gather with Nazarenes from 74 or 75 other churches uh, across the Northwest, and we will give an account for our ministries. 
And the vast majority of what I have to say is fantastically wonderful and good, and I'm very grateful for that. I also have to give account for these two specific things, and I'm not very thrilled about that. I think that our worship attendance, listen, I think our worship attendance could be the easiest thing to fix. Because here's all it takes. Each of us could look at the occasions in which we decided that something else is more worth our time than worship. And just change that once in a while. Then each of us could look at how we might invite a friend to come worship a God who's incredible and who puts some element of that on display before us every time we're together. I think if each of us will just do those two things, that problem will have completely remedied itself in the year to come. Now listen, I don't want to dwell on two little things that I have not been able to fix when there are so many wonderful, big, exciting, beautiful, glorious things that, uh, to celebrate. And the truth is that I don't know all the keys to building a strong church, but apparently that's okay because Jesus said he's going to do it. And he said he has done it in this place, and I can see it. Can you? I'm glad to be a part of these things that he is doing, aren't you? And are you willing to look within to see how maybe you could partner with Jesus to add strength upon strength to First Naz? I know, I know you can do that. And I'm going to count on it instead of worrying about it. So let's do this. Let's end our time together today by standing and singing one more song of praise to a God who deserves it. A God who saves 63 people. A God who, who gathers people and, and their hard-earned dollars and sends a half a million dollars into the mission all the way around the world. A God who taps young women on the shoulders and old retired people too and says, let's take a trip together. Let's worship a God who says to 144 people, I need you to pray for this girl. Stand up, sign the commitment card, do it. Be a part of it. That's a God who deserves to be praised. And while we're praising him, let's remember all these good things that happened, he let us have a part of them. He let us be involved. He could have done it on his own. He could have done it elsewhere. But he did it here and he did it with us. And let's give him thanks for that. Gracious God, we love you. We give you thanks for the chance to just be here today. We give you thanks for all the good things that you've done here. Oh my goodness, Lord, you do incredible things. I especially want to give you praise for 63 people who have walked from darkness into light, from death into life. We bless them in your name today, Lord. I want to pray for Shasta Groney. Still confined elsewhere, but your Holy Spirit uh, knows no bounds. and So you can go to where she is today and let her know that her church family loves her and is praying for her. Lord, we want to ask you to break the chains of addiction in her life. We want to ask you to heal memories from the past. Where there is weakness, we want to ask you to build strength. Where there is heartbreak, we want to ask you to bring peace and comfort. Where her hopes have been dashed, we want to ask one more time that uh, the hope of a whole new life that lasts for all of eternity would be built in, in Shasta's heart. 
We pray for those missionaries that we've sent around the world. Paul and Carolyn have taken off again. Lord, thank you that Madison's here with us. One more time, we, we bless Jesse and we bless Brooke in your name. We pray that your spirit would be so close to them today that they'd feel renewed strength and help.